Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we speak to Nigeria striker Odion Igalo, back in the national team after a disappointing spell at Watford that saw him move to China. China is still growing. It's two different life, two different culture, two different country. But thank God everything is going well. I'm happy I'm doing well. My family is OK. What else should I ask from God? Also, we have your thoughts on refereeing in Africa and we hear from former English Premier League referee Bob Hamer on how the Premier League era changed the game in England. It was a great privilege, really, to be able to take part in the Premier League. It was a whole new beginning almost for football. Also, Stuart takes a look at the main African moves in an action-packed transfer window. But let's start with the World Cup qualifiers in Africa as we had six days of surprises with match days three and four being played around the continent with only the group winners qualifying for the finals in Russia next year. Well, surprisingly, the Africa Cup of Nations champions Cameroon are out already. Only six months ago, they were celebrating becoming the champions of Africa. What do you think has gone wrong for them, Solomon? Steve, uh, Cameroon, African champions, uh, you know, the first African team to be kicked out of the World Cup qualifiers for uh, Russia 2018. There's a lot of changing. There's a lot of uh, players coming in and going out, players who are ready to play for Cameroon uh, when they want to and when they don't want to, players who are not ready to play for Cameroon. Even winning the AFCON tournament, for me, uh, it was uh, quite a lot of luck there. And at the same time, there's quite a lot of uh, youth uh, passion, uh, which really worked for Cameroon. The Cameroon that we know, the first African team to get to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Cameroon would be missed, but I hope that when they host the AFCON tournament, the next edition, I hope that they would make amends for it and be able to uh, defend uh, their crown. Yes, you're right. Uh, Cameroon will have to set their sights now on the 2019 Nations Cup. In Group E, Ghana finally got their first win of the campaign with a 5-1 thrashing away against Congo Brazzaville. But is Egypt in control of the group? In Group A, Tunisia have a three-point lead over DR Congo. And in Group C, Gabon stunned Ivory Coast with a 2-1 away win. The Elephants now only a point ahead of Morocco. And a Group D is very interesting. A Burkina Faso on top with six points, the same as Cape Verde. Uh, the game played last November between South Africa and Senegal is to be replayed because of controversial refereeing. And South Africa in deep trouble with just one point. They were beaten home and away by Cape Verde. Steve, Group D is very dicey. Group D for me has turned into the group of debt where you have Burkina Faso, Senegal, Cape Verde and South Africa. I feel this is going to be really dicey for them. It's something that they really, every team member in this team has a, uh, in this uh, in in this group has a chance, and I feel that uh, playing at home and away 
in the last two games for each of them is going to be very crucial. I, I feel Senegal has a good chance. They will have to play South Africa at home and then they go away. Burkina Faso has to play their last game against South Africa away from home. And and that would determine who wins the group. But we've seen Cavrede doing so well coming from behind. But South Africa will be kicking themselves, you know, in the, the last two games they played and, and losing. Uh, and they, they are technically almost out of it. Uh, Senegal, for me, looks good. Cape Verde also, a country of just half a million people, uh, been a huge surprise. And I, I loved the way they played. The last time against Bafana, Bafana, they played so well. Great long-range uh, goals are from Rodriguez, who plays for Galatasaray amazing that we're going to have a first uh, team uh, from Africa to get to the World Cup in the, in Cape Verde or in Burkina Faso because Senegal has been there, South Africa has been there. Well, we hope uh, we have to wait and see all of that in October. Yeah, sure. Not long to wait until the next round of matches. Now, in Group B, with Cameroon out of the race, it's Nigeria, the clear leaders, three points ahead of Zambia, who did really well, beating Algeria home and away. Nigeria host Zambia next month, and they could win the group then. The Super Eagles drew 1-1 away to Cameroon on Monday, and on Friday of last week, they had an emphatic 4-0 win over the indomitable Lions in Uyo, with Odion Igalo scoring the opener. Now, Igalo moved from Watford in England to Changchun Yatai in China in January in a big money move, a fee close to $30 million. He scored 11 goals in 21 games in China. This earned Igalo a return to the Nigeria squad, and the goal against Cameroon was his first for the Super Eagles since May 2015. It was a goal all about Igalo's strength as he held off a defender and fired home with precision. Legalo spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Akaleji on his international return, the challenges and the criticism he faced, and also about life in China. Yeah, first I want to thank God, and, and I feel great, you know, because uh, even scoring on the club side and for a long time, and uh, the goals was not coming in. It goes, but I still keep my calm because uh, some people have been saying, ah, will you bring that scoring form to the national team and all that, so... And I'm happy I did it in a game like this, difficult game like this, and most especially the team performance. So I'm I'm really happy. Did you feel pressure? I mean, people talk about you going to China, leaving the Premier League. Um, oh no, he's gone to China. The football there is nothing. Did you feel pressure coming into this game, knowing millions of fans are actually watching you? <laughs> like I said, I don't I don't feel pressure because I've did like three or four interviews before the game. I said I don't feel pressure because this is game of football. And I believe in myself, I know what I can do. Playing in China, playing in anywhere in the part of the world, as long as you can give your 100% in anything you do, you can play anywhere. So, and I show that even though I played in China, I still have what it takes to play in this team, you know, because my hard work will speak for me, not where I play. And the coach to believe in me. So I'm really happy that the team won and I scored a goal. A physical game, you have to turn your man over to score that clinical goal for Nigeria. Mm. How difficult was he playing against those tough, physical Cameroonian defence line? Uh, if you're watching the game upstairs there, you know it's very difficult because they are very, very physical. You can see the way they're kicking me, even with their head on my back head and all that. So it was really physical, but I know I'm faster than them. So even the coach said that before the game, that they are very physical, you are faster than them. Just get the ball behind them, you're going to have a chance. So, and before the game, me and Mikael talk, and I say, when you get the ball, just play it behind them. I know I'm faster. That's what he did. And I know anytime you hold the ball, I don't make run behind. 
Then when he did that, the ball was 50-50. I have to use my body and push then take it to my left leg. And thank God the, the ball went in and I was very happy and I give glory back to God. How is life in China compared to life in England? It's different. England is England. China is China. England, English league is the best league in the world. China is still growing. It's two different life, two different culture, two different country. But thank God everything is going well. I'm happy I'm doing well. My family is okay. What else should I ask from God? You went to China because you couldn't um, get the opportunity you want in the English Premier League. Mm. You've often said that it was better for you to play in China regularly than mm. to sit on the bench in the Premier League. Yeah, I've said that and I'm saying that again. It's better for me to play in China than to sit down on a bench in the Premier League. I won't do that because I played in the Premier League. My first season, I did so well. Then the second season, I started sitting down on the bench, not playing. If I'm still there and I'm not playing, they're not going to invite me here to come to the national team. It's because I'm playing in China, scoring goals. That's why I have the opportunity to be back in the national team. So, like I said, I would rather be playing in China than sitting down on the bench in the Premier League. That's Nigeria striker Odion Igalo speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji. Uh, so, Solomon, would you say that Igalo did the right thing by leaving the English Premier League to go and play in China? You know, I, I would want to recommend that we look at a few factors. And the first factor would be the financial factor. You know, quite a lot of money was paid for him. He would be earning tens of thousands of pounds every week. Uh, and that's quite a lot of money from a young lad who is from the ghetto, from a very poverty-stricken home uh, in Lagos, in a place called Ajegunle. That's quite a lot of money for him to be able to sustain his family, support his family, and also plan his future. And uh, footballing-wise, you know, uh, while he was at uh, Watford, just before he left, he wasn't the first-choice striker. Footballing-wise and also financially, I think he made the right decision. Yes, it looks like it was a good move for Odion Igalo. So the next games in World Cup qualifying in Africa are next month and the final matches then are in November. Then we'll know the identities of the five teams representing Africa at next year's World Cup finals in Russia. Well, this week on social media, we're asking, what do you think has happened to Cameroon? Just six months ago, they were crowned the champions of Africa, winning the Nations Cup in Gabon. And now they're out of the race already for a place at the World Cup finals. So tell us, what do you think has happened to Cameroon? Go on to our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Then you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Well, now we turn to social media, and last week on the show we talked about referees. Referees in Africa receive constant criticism, with fans accusing them of incompetence, bias, and generally doing a poor job. But being a referee is a very difficult task, and they're also criticised in the top leagues of Europe too. So we asked, what do you think about referees in Africa? Are they doing a good job, or are they letting the game down? 
Well, on Facebook first, and Bakari Tamba in the Gambia says refereeing in Africa is so hard, but they try so well. As much as my namesake in the Gambia, Bakari Papa Gassama. Yeah, good point there, Bakari, because Gassama was appointed as a FIFA referee back in 2007 and has officiated at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil and the 2017 Confederations Cup in Russia. Abli Osise, also in the Gambia, says it's a hectic job for referees here in Africa, but there is more room for improvement by our officials. On WhatsApp and in Nigeria, Obina is optimistic about the future. Obina says most referees in Africa have been letting the game down until recently, when they've decided to step up their game due to constant criticism from the fans and the media. At some point in African football, we had something called home advantage where the referee favours the home team to win at all costs. But things are looking up recently, says Obina, and the officiating is getting better. We always welcome your voice notes on WhatsApp. Here's David Noah in The Gambia. For me, I think referees in Africa are doing very, very, very well, irrespective of the, the funding that they are receiving and the motivational aspect that they are having. They are doing very, very well to promote the beautiful game, Just imagine like in Africa here, most referees are underpaid and most of the time they are not motivated as their counterparts in other parts of the world, like in Europe, in America or so. So most time around here, like in Africa, you see them, sometimes they receive uh, criticism or sometimes they are even abused physically. But with all that uh, mega resources and that uh, little motivation that they have, they always try to make sure that they do their best in the field of play that is promoting the beautiful game. So for me, I believe like the African referees should be applauded and they need more funding. They need to be motivated in their work, at least for the, to enable them to uh, promote the beautiful game uh, to the highest level in Africa. Thanks there to David Noah. And Alassane Hadrame, also in the Gambia, agrees, saying, in my opinion, they're doing well. The standard of the game in Africa can't be compared to that of Europe at the moment, but definitely African referees are doing well, says Alassane. Tony Correa, also in the Gambia, appreciates the tough job that referees have, saying, honestly, they are really trying, but sometimes they make blunders and mistakes. No man is perfect, but they are trying, says Tony. Robertson in Cameroon thinks that overall officials are doing well. Robertson says African referees are doing a nice job, but they still really need to learn to have the sharpness and disposition on the pitch to really follow the ball and also to look up to their assistance in difficult cases. Now here's another voice note from Ebrima Kante in the Gambia. I believe referees are doing a good job. Although refereeing is not easy, especially refereeing in Africa is very difficult. Referees get constant abuse from fans and even some coaches, but it's very difficult to be a referee in Africa, especially here in the Gambia. I believe they are doing a very good job. Even here in the Gambia, we have the best referee in Africa for the past three years, that's Papa Bakari Gassama. But sometimes, yes, some of them can be biased at times, but that is the nature of their job. But I think majority of them are doing a fantastic job. So Ebrima is happy, but Bai Mata Sanyang in the Gambia feels there's much room for improvement. Referees are human who are born to make mistakes, says Bai Mata. But it is right that some referees aren't doing good at all. 
Most of the fights in the stadiums and pitch invasions are normally caused by the referee. At times, they're definitely letting the game down. I advise the referees' associations in all regions and continents to try and always have perfect training for their referees. And Fali Bojang, also in the Gambia, says, First of all, being the referee is a really difficult job because the referee is responsible for commanding the game. I think referees in Africa are doing a good job, but they need to be a little bit more professional in whatever they are doing. Paul is in Nigeria, and he makes the point that some officials in Africa may also be distracted by issues off the pitch. The fear of possible violent attack by fans and players discontented with officiating often influences referees' calls negatively, says Paul, so as to be on the safe side. Pitch invasions and poor security at match venues are major issues in African football as compared to Europe and America, says Paul. Yeah, good point there. Mohamed I. Kinte in the Gambia says referees in Africa are mostly to blame for the poor quality of games due to the way they handle things. They tend to favour some teams, which degrades the teams mentally and physically, says Mohamed. Ephrathar Kamanga in Malawi agrees there's room for improvement, saying most referees are biased and no wonder they're criticised for officiating games involving the teams that they themselves support. Barang Sane in the Gambia is concerned by alleged corruption, saying the referees are very important figures in the game because the smooth running of the game depends on them, but many of them accept bribes from people that cause them to let the game down, which causes violence in our local tournaments, says Barang. And finally, Sana Balde in the Gambia says the discussion about the standard of referees should not be restricted to Africa alone. They're doing a good job because without them, the game will be dull, says Sana. But I think all referees in the world make mistakes. In Africa, there is a lack of proper training of officials about the laws of the game. But in Europe, sometimes referees still make silly mistakes, which all the world is seeing. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments and apologies if we didn't have time to read out your comment. We're still on the topic of referees. Last week, we spoke to former English Premier League referee Bob Hamer, who's currently a referee's assessor, and he highlighted some of the amendments to the laws of the game on last week's show. Well, Bob's last season as a referee before retiring was the first season of the English Premier League in its new format in the 1992-93 season. And he told us about his memories of refereeing in the Premier League. It was a great privilege, really, to be able to take part in the Premier League. It was a whole new beginning almost for football. And I really did think at that stage that um, the difference between the Premier League and the Championship, or as it was in those days, Division One and Division Two, were getting closer. But since the Premier League came in, it's got wider and wider and wider. Um, the game is so different these days. There's so much money involved, particularly at Premier League level. Um, I mean, we're seeing crazy <laughs> transfer fees at the moment. Uh, so the game has changed. It's got faster, no doubt about that. Um, all the dietitians and all the rest of it and training techniques have made it uh, much more f- fast than it than it ever used to be. Uh, but it was a, a great privilege to be able to referee at that level uh, all those years ago, to be in at the start. Manchester United won that first year, didn't they? So it was just the start when the Neville brothers and um, David Beckham and a couple of others were just starting in the team. Because didn't Alan Hansen say famously... You're never going to win the league with a team of youngsters. Uh, Well, they did. 
<laughs> went from strength to strength. Games also changed from the players that are playing. In that, in those days, there were hardly any foreign players playing, and there are more and more and more these days. As we know, there's not that many English players playing, and I guess that's a reflection of the amount of money coming into the game. Um, it's probably one of the best paid leagues in the world, and it's probably one of the the best standards of football I, I would think as well wow uh, what a privilege for you to have been there bob and also there have been big changes in the officiating over the past 25 years as referees and their assistants in the english premier league are now full-time professionals sure yeah when i was doing it i was very much um a part-time occupation for me but these days there are professional referees full-time referees in the Premier League, which are called Select Group 1, and their assistant referees, they're all professional as well. That's their full-time job. And in the Championship these days now, this is the second season of Select Group 2, which are professional referees there as well. So massive changes. And I think the the assessing scheme is much better than it used to be. The coaches, referee coaches, uh, there's more of them. Um, you don't feel as if you're on your own, which sometimes when I was refereeing, you did feel a little bit on your own because there weren't the coaches to go to to say, this has happened in my game, what do you suggest I do? Uh, and there's also, every game is televised these days. Even down at League One and Football League Two, every game is televised. I get um, a video of the 90 minutes I've watched the previous day when I've been assessing the referee. I uh, I get that downloaded to my laptop by nine o'clock the next morning. So there's plenty of uh, times when you can go and look at your performance and get your coach involved and say, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? Uh, so it's it's a much, much better system than it ever was. And I think the standard of refereeing has improved despite what lots of people say. Well, we'd love to see some of that set up across more of Africa with all the games televised and refereeing being so well resourced. Thanks a lot to Bob Hamer, a referee's assessor in the UK and a former English Premier League referee. We're now on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. We go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. The August transfer window ended with a flurry of late deals as usual. We're going to reflect on some of those moves. Now, one of the hottest African players around, Senegal winger Keita Balde, has moved from Lazio in Italy to Monaco in France. Now, Monaco reached the semi-finals of last season's Champions League, but they have lost Kylian Mbappe and others. Uh, Stuart, do you think that Monaco will be such a force this season? Well, you know, Monaco is a rather strange club because they're technically not in France. Monaco is an independent, small territory. It's only got a population of a few hundred thousand, but it's a very rich population. And Monaco, actually five years ago, were in the second division of French football. They got promoted, and since then, they've never been out of the top three. They have indeed lost Mbappé, but they've still got Thomas Lemar and, of course, Falcao. I think that they will continue to challenge for the French title against Paris Saint-Germain and could have a decent run in the Champions League. I don't think they are one of the top teams in Europe and will ever quite aspire to that. Probably getting to the uh, semi-final of the Champions League last year was overachieving. 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well Kitabaldi settled in. I mean, he's played only for Lazio. He's been there for about four years. Not the most experienced, but a good goal-scoring record. I'm sure he'll be an asset. Yes, I think so too. And now we've talked a lot about Ivory Coast striker Wilfred Bonny. He's moved back to Swansea where he made his name after a disappointing time at Manchester City and on loan to Stoke last season. Well, I mean, I would have to say it was quite a predictable disappointing time at Manchester City because, you know, you go to a big club with a squad of 30 players, you're not going to walk into it. And... Wilfred's problem was he simply couldn't get enough game time. Like in his first season, he only got two starts, came off the bench eight times. Second season, 13 starts, 13 times off the bench. And compare that with Swansea City, where he was the number one striker. He was the go-to player. Suddenly at Manchester City, he's just a squad player. Then he went to Stoke. That didn't really work out terribly well. He played nine games, two goals. And I think going back to Swansea is probably a good move for him. Whether he will be playing in the Premier League next year, of course, is a question since Swansea are certainly one of those clubs that would be on your shortlist of teams who could be relegated, particularly having lost Sigerson, who really was their star player last season. He's, of course, gone to Everton. So I think it could be a long, hard season for Wilfred. And if he can get the goals that he got on his first spell at Swansea, then Swansea probably have a good chance of staying up. Yes, sure. Now, I'm a fan of another Ivorian, Serge Aurier, and there's been a big move for him from Paris Saint-Germain in France to Tottenham in England. Uh, Very gifted, but uh, something of a bad boy. Is he the right replacement for Kyle Walker at Tottenham? Well, he is a real Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde, a great footballer, but as you allude to, he has got into trouble for assaulting a policeman and abusing his manager, Laurent Blanc. But a very good player. He's played for Lens, Toulouse and Paris Saint-Germain. And Tottenham now have a vacancy in the defence, having sold Kyle Walker to Manchester City for an amazing $60 million, which prompted uh, the old England player, now pundit Gary Lineker, to say, Imagine how much Kyle Walker would be worth if he could only cross the ball. So uh, Tottenham, I think, will have a difficult season playing at Wembley. And it'll be interesting just to see whether they can maintain their excellent top three performances from the last two seasons with that disadvantage of playing their home games at Wembley while the new stadium is being built. Well, let's see how Tottenham and Serge Aurier do this season. Now, Divock Origi is hugely popular in Kenya because his dad is Kenyan, although Divock has Belgian nationality. He's gone from Liverpool to Wolfsburg on loan. Well, Steve, remember we watched Divock Origi play for Belgium in the 2014 World Cup and he just seemed on the brink of something great at Liverpool. The problem is that he struggled to get enough game time. You know, his first season, he was out on loan to Lille, and then he's only had seven and 14 starts. I mean, last season, 14 starts, 20 times off the bench. And it's just not good enough for him at this stage of his career. So as a 22-year-old, he needs to be playing more. Going on loan to Wolfsburg in Germany should give him that game time, and perhaps he'll come back to Liverpool stronger, or he'll go somewhere else. Then we've also had an interesting move. Huddersfield Town, newly promoted to the Premier League, have signed Abdul Hamid Sabiri, 
a Moroccan player from Nuremberg. And the fascinating thing is that he's only played nine first team games for Nuremberg. So he's certainly a bit of a risk. He's only 20, so he's a career ahead of him. But it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can adjust to Premier League football and indeed battle his way into the Huddersfield team. Now, we've talked lots on the programme about Kalechi Ihanacu and what a wonderful prospect he is. And, you know, a player who scored a dozen goals for Manchester City, but same old problem. You go to a club like Manchester City, same as we talked about Wilfred Bonney, getting game time is the problem. And in his two seasons at Manchester City, Kalechi has started seven, come off the bench 19 times, started five, come off the bench 15 times. And, you know, he's got a dozen goals, but when you're fighting for places with Aguero and all the other new players that they've signed, it's just very difficult for a young player to break into the first team. And I think for Kalechi Hanacho to go to Leicester City, where he will probably play regularly, is just the thing that he needs. Of course, he's only 20 as well. So game time is what he needs. And I think Leicester City could be just the place for him. Yes, sure. Well, that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking, what has happened to Cameroon? Just six months ago, the Indomitable Lions were crowned champions of Africa, winning the Nations Cup in Gabon. But already they have crashed out of qualifying for next year's FIFA World Cup in Russia. So what do you think has gone wrong for Cameroon? Go onto our Facebook page. You can post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.